Hello, welcome back, welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casazza, Chris Anderson. A week from today, melting on an AstroTurf field on the first day of June. At a camp for the first time in two years. Um, maybe not something you look forward to when you do, I don't know, 12, 14 of those in a month when you haven't done it in, uh, you know, 24 spins of the calendar. It seems like a pretty inviting occasion. It does. I was just, I was just thinking about that, about how I think once we've reached that last camp in June, and we always talk about what that last camp of June is like when it's like the sixth or seventh camp in like 17 days and all the coaching staff is standing at the end of it because it usually ends with the seven on seven tournament. So it's a championship game, a lot of good players out there and the coaching staff is standing on the end into the end zone, the back backside of the end zone, just waiting for this game to end to just sprint to vacation, just sprint. Cause, cause vacation starts for many of the assistant coaches, the moment that last camp ends. And I was thinking about that and I was like, yeah, man, once you hit that last camp in June, you are done. But when it's been two years, like I am excited to be out there. I get the impression from talking to some people, the coaches are very excited as well. Like this is a big deal. Like this, we've talked a million times about how important these camps are and how much the coaches use those in their evaluations and who they want in this class. You know, the, the all camp team I had from 2019, the last time they had camps, you look at that and it's just filled with players who, and, and I made these camp teams before these kids even committed. And it's just filled with guys that eventually signed with West Virginia in that 2020 and 2021 class. And it, it's important. And so the coaches are excited. I'm excited. Again, ask me, ask me a month from now, I guess, you know, it's May 25th. We're recording this June 25th. I think, uh, Last camp's, what, the 23rd, 24th? Mm-hmm. So ask me a month from now. Um, I'll have a very different answer for you, I am certain. But right now, I'm I'm ecstatic to get up there. Sunscreen, visor, sunglasses already? Oh, yeah. I got my, my uh, dirty, sweaty 24-7 sports hat that I've worn every camp for eight years now, I think. I mean, I've been going longer than that, but I think I've had that cap for eight years. Uh, and, and plenty of sunscreen. Always plenty, plenty of sunscreen and plenty of portable chargers for the uh, camera and the phone. And um, yeah, I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. We should devote like a whole episode to previewing this, shouldn't we? (laughs) Maybe. Okay, maybe. I already had it done. Um, Because we're not doing this next week, because again, like we did the Tuesday morning Q&A, but we'll be busy that day there too. Um, I've seen the hat. I recognize the hat. Um, I think it's important too, and like for what you do, because if you think about the other way, I know the one they had, the the hoop crew had the summer jam fest here for many years for basketball. It was really important for coaches to have their their logo very visible because you couldn't talk to the players back then. Um, mm-hmm. It was a it was a, an AAU tournament, so you couldn't like pull them off to the side and work them out like at a camp, and they're not visiting specifically your school. So you'd have I don't know twelve fifteen recognizable brands and or coaches there, but they had to have like the most obvious like. Um, insignia for their school and you know it was one thing if you were Roy Williams or Bob Huggins in Morgantown uh Krzyzewski was here one year Beheim was here one year but like recognizable people it was one thing but then you find like these schools that were mid-majors or this is back before power fives but like in the major conferences and like the gigantic Wake Forest logo for example <laughs> and like the guy would have this like it looked like a Stephen Barry's pullover with this huge um 
symbol for his school or whatever too. But for you, that's important. Not to joke about your hat, but like they kind of have to know who you are, right? Because they want yeah. you want to keep in contact with them. So it's it's kind of reverse engineered. You had to be recognizable for the recruits and their parents in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta gotta have that out there. I'll have my twenty four seven sports shirt on too. Got all the merch. Um, yeah, back in the day, Mike, we used to get that stuff for free. Can you believe that? That was the, that was the good the early days, the early days before CBS. I love you, CBS. Uh, not talking bad about you, but um, we I got to wear all that stuff. And yeah, I'll have. Uh, I still remember. Um, I can't remember what year it was. I remember the player, uh, Josh Sills. He was out there camping, and I'm watching. I'm taking pictures. I sent out a tweet about the uh, like, hey, this kid Josh Sills is here on campus. You know, doesn't have an offer yet, but he looks amazing. And two minutes later, I have uh, one of Josh Sills' parents tapping me on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, hey, I don't know if I can really talk to you right now, but how's it going? And, uh, you know, just asking about things and talking about stuff. And next thing you know, obviously, Josh becomes a, a big target for West Virginia, ends up committing and signing and playing for a couple years before going to Oklahoma State. But um, it, it is important to, you know, make it clear that we are here, we are covering this camp, and you can talk to me. And, you know, uh, and again, people ask, hey, what? How are these uh, other guys, you know, Andrew Evans, Brian Doan, um, Biggins, you know, other guys that we work with at, at CBS and 24-7, getting these interviews with a lot of these recruits is because um, these recruits are doing seven-on-sevens and Elite 11 quarterback stuff down in Florida and down in Tennessee and all these places where those guys live. And those guys are going to the camps. Recruits, when you call them, text them, they can ignore that. They can ignore that. And I'm not saying you're stalking them in person, but they also feel more comfortable talking in person. They know you. They know you're a real person. They don't know you're a random. Because unfortunately nowadays, when you start texting them on Twitter, any rando can start texting them on Twitter yeah. or on their phone, find out their phone number and stuff like that. Um, so when they can see you in person, see you're a real person, see you're a real legit and you cover this stuff, they're far more willing to talk to you as well. I have two pieces of company clothing there you go one's a black pullover uh-huh probably not gonna wear that no uh the other is like actually it's not even 24 7 it's a cbs it's a really nice north face that they sent me um but it's a zip up and it's probably more for september october november than june so yeah. do i go like belichick and cut the sleeves off <laughs> if you truly want your recruiting card you will yeah, if you want to I keep got, it, I'll get attention because like they'll see me walking around with, with a sleeveless. Who's that guy? Oh, that's well. Mine. Hey, I mean, if you're gonna do all that Muay Thai or whatever it is, you better get those arms out. Get those, get those guns out, Mike. Let yeah. them see them. I had a hat, a CBS hat from our first uh, Nashville thing, right? Yeah, I think a dog got that in my house. <laughs> I don't, th- I don't think it was one of my dogs. I think it was a visitor. But also, like, I'm not, I'm not keeping this hair undercover either. So that's no. not gonna happen. So I might have to go sleeveless. We'll see. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I'll do, but I have a feeling that you'll find out. <laughs> People just talk about that if I show up without sleeping on there, too. Uh, speaking of recruiting, big addition, while some of you are sleeping or at least getting ready for bed, kind of one that was, I think, on track a while ago and then wasn't, which means maybe they looked around or maybe he looked around, but we keep ticking down from 6 to 5 to 4 to 3, um, and now one fewer because there is a new defensive back in the fold here. What can you tell us? Yeah, so Caleb Coleman from Hutchinson Community College, 
a month ago, uh, I think, or first week of May, you know, we kind of broke the news that West Virginia was trying to add him late, got in touch with him, tried to offer him a scholarship. And I don't think there was really like a, a pause put on by West Virginia. I think it was mostly that Coleman, because he told me at the time that he wanted to wait until his season was over at, at, Hut, at Hutchinson. And thing is, they kept winning and winning and winning and winning. And their regular season ended two weeks ago. And then they got put in the national championship game, which this year is being played the first week of June. So then it got to the point of, okay, he can't wait any longer. You know, the staff's not going to wait any longer for him to make a decision. They're not going to wait until into June. So I think it got to that point that it was like, hey, we need a decision from you sooner rather than later. And he couldn't wait until after that championship game. And, and that's kind of why he went out um, and made that decision. That That is what I was told. And again, he told me early on that he was going to make a decision as soon as this season was over, which he told me was May 16th. And he's right. It was May 16th, but team went undefeated. So season's still going. Um, good player, great player uh, so far, it seems like. I think the key here was, and I put it in my instant analysis, and, it, and you don't do this often, but he was, he's a full qualifier. He's a true freshman in junior college. He was a full qualifier, so he, he doesn't have to finish out his associate's degree before he can enroll at WVU. He's eligible right away. But his senior film, if you showed me his senior and high school film yep. and then showed me his freshman and junior college film, I would never in a million years think they were the same player. Not that he's like drastically better than he was in, as a senior, but it's like he played two entirely different positions. Um, he is almost exclusively a, a kind of free safety in high school. He comes up and shows some skills about tackling near the line. He's not afraid to – he comes downhill well, uh, full speed, makes some great tackles in that film. And then you look at his junior college film, and he's lining up as like a cornerback uh, a lot, uh, also playing some safety, also some slot corner. I mean, he basically plays everywhere in the secondary between those two films – but neither of they don't look alike at all. And I think that's one of the reasons why West Virginia was so interested in him. Big time high school in Alabama, too. Yeah, Smith Station. So I'm assuming that they knew him, if not from, I don't know, maybe he came as like a middle schooler on a camp, but certainly the connections there that, that he has, Jordan Leslie has. I'm sure that Brown knows some people there, too. That, that, that makes a lot of sense, too. And in addition to him, too, um, I don't want to bring two people too far behind the paywall, but yeah. Automatic qualifier, which means doesn't have to do the the three semesters or the two years in junior college, it means he went there instead of an FCS, which means he kind of believed in himself a little bit. Maybe the FCS offers weren't quite what he wanted, or maybe like the FBS group of five, Division two offers. I don't know, but he kind of said, "I'll do a year in junior college if that is what it takes," and kind of admire that, right? Kind of yeah. a chips in the middle thing, and and it worked because you're right, the stuff you look at. I mean, that's just a good defense player that they put all over the field. You see that on offense, too. Like, this guy can play slot. He can play outside. Maybe he can put him in the backfield. Kind of the same thing on defense there. They have him in different spots because he can attack and looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, but also, because he's a non-qualifier and because this year doesn't count, he pretty much comes in as, like, a seasoned freshman. Like, he has a full year of the college experience. And, like, what a year. <laughs> what a year, too, right? Um, but that's – I mean, what, what more can you want for for a guy who's going to come in and be a true freshman than – as far as like preparation for a guy who didn't have this taste a year ago, like he was not going on a college campus with this type of a, 
a situation waiting for him, and he hasn't now. I think, I mean, that's all things considered, that's a pretty good addition. It's not a, a it's not an FCS guy they found, and it's not a, a power five or group of five transfer, but there's an awful lot to like about this because they're old until they're young back there. So he, he helps maybe now, but certainly in the future too. So good addition, right? Yeah, yeah, as I say, he's not your traditional junior college guy that you're expecting to come in and, and be a starter right away or anything. Um, I mean, he could cer- he certainly looks like he can contribute. He's already playing. Because just a reminder, for, for that Kansas Junior College League where he's playing, mm-hmm. um, I think it's got the KJCC or whatever, um, that, that league is just filled with FBS talent. Like a lot of bounce backs, as they're called, guys that start in Division One go to junior college for a year and then bounce back up to another uh, college. I guess we won't be seeing that much of that anymore with the rule changes, but uh, a lot of FBS caliber talent in that league. So he's, he's not, I mean, he's, it, it, it's not quite the same as playing division one football, but it's pretty darn close. And as you noted, since he's this year doesn't count, they made a rule, you know, just like the NCAA, the NJCAA decided that this year did not count towards your eligibility. So he's going to show up, you know, in late June, just like a lot of these high school kids with five years to play four seasons, except instead of coming right out of high school, he's got a full year at arguably the top junior college in the country playing against top end FBS caliber talent for an entire season. So it's it's almost like that old uh, prep school thing where a guy just gets a whole extra year, but it doesn't hurt, doesn't delay and just gets an extra year of prep to get better, and 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 it could really work out for West Virginia down the road. Can you rank the, the junior college conferences? Uh, there's basically three, what, Kansas, Mississippi, and California. California, for those that don't know, usually does not, like, or not usually, but it's almost like a different thing entirely. Like, they just don't play with the Kansas and Mississippi teams. They don't play against them. Um, but I would say, I'd say probably, or not just Kansas, but the Midwest, like Kansas, Iowa, those, those areas, uh, Kansas is the conference, but, um, what I'm torn between Kansas and Mississippi up top. And then I'd have California third. Um, yeah, Iowa has one too. I believe that people like at least some of the programs there. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I think it's just called the Northeast football conference. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's, I'm trying to think what the one in the Southwest is. It might just be the Southwest junior colleges, but you're right. Um, the, I think, I think I saw this before that there is every big 12 team has somebody from a, one of the Jayhawk conference teams. Wow. Um, that's the one in Kansas. So that's pretty good. But every SEC team has one from the Mississippis too, <laughs> which is probably geographically logical. And if you look at those teams, but I think a lot of people would agree that Mississippi is known for like offense or defensive linemen and bounce back players, I think. But you find a lot of people who don't qualify or do qualify, but go to a Kansas one at a out of um at a high school and they make it because of that. So and I don't know if there's a if there's a profile for a player there. Like I don't know if there's a position in the Kansas one as there is for Mississippi. And you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but like you kind of always say Mississippi big defensive linemen, defensive tackles, defensive ends. Or even linebackers, too, but definitely bounce-back guys. Kansas just seems like the coaching there, because a lot of them have been in place for a long time. Those programs have been good, too. You're going to get a pretty well-rounded player if he's there for one or two or three years and and ready to come in and contribute. And, you know, Kansas State did that for a long time. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State typically have one or two guys that are pretty reliable there, too, and and they're guys who 
have two years and are, are ready to go. They're down to business and nothing wrong with adding a guy like that. So um, I'm trying to remember the last time they had a Kansas guy come in, though, because they do a lot of Mississippi. But when, like, was David Israel? Yeah, maybe. I was going to say, I mean, I, I the first person that pops in my head when I think of Kansas junior college was Dreamia Smith. Yeah. Um, but I guess that was before Israel. So I, I'm blanking on it now because right now my mind is blown because I went to look up all the conferences. Apparently there's 24 regions for junior college football. Um, <laughs> and that, there's two divisions I, too, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely multiple divisions, but I'm just like – Blown away. I mean, we're obviously familiar with a lot of these, and, and there's some that have them. West Virginia has pulled kids from a lot of these regions. They, if you really think about it, um, the Georgia, there, there's a, a region in Georgia. That's where they got, uh, you know, Georgia Military College with Mario Alford and uh, got him blanking on the the linebacker that came with Alford when Tony Gibson pulled him from Arizona. Brandon Golson. Brandon Golson, thank you. Uh, California, you, you got Skylar Howard. Um uh, Kansas, I, I didn't know, I forgot about this, but Bruce Irvin did a year in Kansas. He was at yeah. Butler for a year before he went out to California. Uh, Dreamia Smith, you go down to Mississippi, uh, obviously getting guys from there and, and the connections with Jordan Leslie in recent years. So it, it's not, and, you know, Justin Crawford was from down there. Um, West Virginia's kind of been all over the place with the these junior college players from all these different regions. Charlie Benton was Butler too. Mm-hmm. I believe so. That might have been the last one. So yeah, hey, good. It's never it's never bad to get relationships in those schools because there's going to be a lot of players. And I really think that I, I know I know I've mentioned this before too, but people I talked to said that in basketball, definitely, but in football too, junior colleges were were not recruited with the same depth um, that they normally were because they didn't have seasons. It was hard to find people this year, and people were obsessed and are obsessed with the transfer portal. You're going to find good players there. And not only that, but you might find people who, for example, like this edition here, didn't have the interest he wanted because everybody's like, I'm going to get a transfer. I'm going to get someone who's more ready. And then they're going to, instead of the opportunity at a group of five, they're going to go to a junior college and just bet on themselves. So you might, it's not a bad idea to get into this because the way the portal is changing everything, this certainly seems to be a way we can do it. Uh, transfer portal not changing the fact that we have talked way too long again before we started. But there's a lot to talk about. Lots of questions, lots of answers, too. So let's get to it here before we hit the 20-minute mark, which is kind of an achievement for us, too. Yes, it is. Subscribers, VIP questions, um, answers from Chris and I. Get to what we can. Chris follows up with written part of this, and then we'll be preempted. Maybe we'll run a best of next week because we'll be on the field. The best of will probably not be as long as the 20-minute intro. <laughs> but no more delay. Let's get to it, Chris. All right. Um, let's see what, well, I mean, Hey, we're talking about the transfer portal. So let's go right there from GD full. Cause I thought this was a pretty interesting topic and apparently has been floating around the college basketball, uh, Twitter sphere. Um, what are your thoughts on going transfer portal only in basketball? And, uh, you know, he attached a tweet from Joe Lenardi, um, or not Joe Lenardi, but, uh, somebody from that discusses how one college coach said, they're not recruiting high schoolers, just transfers. Your thoughts? Would never work in football. Could work yeah. in basketball because you only need like 10 guys, right? Yeah. It would have to be like a top name coach or school or like a consistent national championship competitor. Someone who's going to say, we're, gonna, we're, we're good enough to do this every year because you're going to have to do it every year if you're going to commit to it. 
Um, but I can get by on my resume, my rings, um, my brand. I can get by on that. I can just go into that. And then eventually this becomes like self-fulfilling where guys who are really good sophomores or juniors that are going to be juniors and seniors, but they hit the portal and they're like, I'm going to go to that school that keeps doing this. It keeps getting to the final four, won a championship, you know, two years ago, whatever. It's, it's going to have to be something you seriously invest in. It can't be something that you're half in, half out on. It's almost like an all or nothing thing. Could you do it though? I don't know. Like, could you get like a, a big three, big four kind of thing where, cause a lot of these guys know each other from AAU and from different events that they go to and they, they're in rooms together um, they, they play against each other, they get to know one another, and then they have a, a circle of people. Would that work? But then why wouldn't they end up in the same campus to start with? But maybe they have different reasons to go in different places, and they say, hey, we had a fun time in the summer of 20. Let's go to blank school and try to win one here. I think that might work initially because it might just be something cool and different. But once it's not new anymore and the novelty wears off, I think we kind of probably fall back to what we've done before, which is kids take the five visits and where they like to be the most is where they end up or where they felt the most love is where they end up. But I've no doubt that you're going to see people seriously try to add a handful of transfers every year. And then maybe just like shoot the moon every so often and say, I lost six guys to the portal and two to the NBA. I need eight. <laughs> Let's try to get five really good. And, then, and if we have to do it again next year, we do it again. I think it's possible, but it's so radical. I wonder who's going to do it. So I was thinking, a little bit of a different angle here of maybe a mid-major or a lower division one school picking up the scraps from like, you know, a sixth or seventh man from a high major and being, you know, taking a guy being like, Hey, instead of playing 15 minutes off the bench, you want to come be a starter? Want to come be a starter? And kind of, kind of pick from that, that low hanging fruit of trying to get guys that maybe played at a, a, a higher level of division one ball and seeing if they want to have a bigger role later in their careers. And then you're getting juniors and seniors who have been playing meaningful minutes, but maybe not starters minutes at, you know, a high major program and piecing them together with your lower division program, still division one, but you know, smaller school and kind of dominating lesser athletes at that level. I, I, the cohesion thing, is always something I'm concerned about with basketball. I think it's it's far more important um, than in football. But I I would wonder if if I were a smaller Division One school and struggled to recruit because when you're a smaller Division One school, like what are you, what are you recruiting on? Uh, you know, you can't recruit on your name. You can't recruit on NCAA tournament history, that kind of stuff. You really have to really have to coach them up. But maybe you could recruit transfers with the opportunity to play more. And get on a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger role with a, still a Division One team. I'm gonna go with your mid-major idea here, and think about what school has the best stuff from a mid-major, and then could you go and just say, "Listen, I'm I'm Florida Gulf Coast's coach." Uh huh. There you go. Now you're thinking. My campus is on the beach. Um, come here. We're gonna go twenty-eight and three. And we're going to win our tournament every year. Will we? Will we be a top six seed? I don't know, but like we're going to get in at large or automatic. But we're going to have this thing every year that we're good at. And like, you, by the way, you're going to be on the beach. You're going to be having a great time. Blue water, palm trees, and honestly, you're here for six months, right? Yeah. You don't even have to do a whole year, but just come and do that. And you know, could I think Green Canyon is one out west that has that's who they played in the 
in the CBI a couple years ago, right? Was it Grand Canyon? Uh-huh. Okay. Had awesome facilities. Like, are there places like that that are not football, but specifically basketball, have either a great location, a great campus, great facilities where they can pull people like you're talking about, or maybe like I'm talking about high end, but like somewhere, and you get a couple of them every year just to say, this is our thing. We're doing this, but you're also doing it at this awesome location, and you're in for six months, and you're out. Can you do it? That's that's an interesting, bitch. It would take a wild coach to do it, but like I think there's people who are crazy enough to do that. Moving to a uh, little bit of basketball, a little bit of football. This is a question from Jay Mole, nineteen eighty nine. Which team, basketball or football, do you feel has a better chance to make the conference championship game? I know the rosters aren't set, so feel free to speculate. But what do you think about this upcoming season? Uh, basketball. <laughs> I I was not ready for that quick of an answer. Well, all right. All right I can. You want me to fill in some blanks? No. Well, because I, I'm my first answer originally, like right off the top of my head, was yeah, basketball, basketball, basketball. But the Big Twelve might be kind of deep again, and. To get to the championship game, you don't just have to do a, have a solid regular season, but then you have to win multiple games in the tournament, the, the conference tournament, to get to the conference championship game. Where in football, I think if you can win the right, if you win the games you're supposed to win, and then maybe you only have to like pull one surprise, mm. and you finish second, and you're in the conference championship game, and that's that. So you're saying you get you, you get smoked by Oklahoma, for example. Yeah, you, you lose to Oklahoma, you lose to Iowa State, but then nope. maybe say, or I guess you have to surprise Iowa State. But then Iowa State beats Oklahoma. Yeah. You get some help by some tiebreaker, you can get in. Possible. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that's an issue. I just think that you get into the tournament no matter what. That helps for basketball. True. I think their roster's better. I think they're closer to where they want to be. Um with a chance to be really, really good with with some good news in the NBA, which I'm not, I'm not selling that out to. I think that's well, a high. Nope. Write it down, Mike. Breaking, <laughs> breaking news, Mike. Yes, I just think that 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 help is more likely to come to push West Virginia basketball to that destination we're talking about than in this football. I'm not sure they're going to get that person, those people with the remaining scholarships, to make them a can win two games kind of a team, you know, or which would be, can they beat those two teams we talked about in football? I don't, I don't think it'd be crazy if West Virginia got into the basketball tournament as like a three seed and then beat the six and then beat the two or beat the seven, whatever's in there. Like, I think it's, that's probable. Um, it's happened many, many times at a row before that would be fine with me. And you're right though. The portal has loaded the big 12. Sometimes from players within the Big 12, too. But, like, Kansas has gotten really good. Texas has gotten really good. Oklahoma's going to be frisky with their players. Oklahoma State got, up until Remy Martin went to Kansas, got the number one player in the portal from Kansas. Um, they're going to be, they're all going to be good again, which maybe makes it harder. But I still think the basketball is more prepared with a better roster to get through just to the tournament. They're going to get in the tournament no matter what. Like, there's that qualification thing. Like, they have to qualify for the championship game of football. Um, could they do it? Maybe, but I think it's a harder road for, for football than basketball. All right. All right. All right fine. Yeah. As it's not as easy because I think we both agree that basketball's the better team or, or has a chance to be better, I guess, or however you want to say it than, than football. But the competition in the road is different. It, 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 it makes it a tough question. 
It's not very straightforward. Um, uh, let's see. Where do you want to go? I, well, we got a follow-up to something. Apparently, uh, you mostly, but maybe me a little bit, uh, <laughs> did not give a good enough answer on something last week. So we got a follow-up uh, from Hamilton220. Uh, the info about Shiano at Ruggers and Kentucky was good, but I don't believe you really addressed why WVU appears to be immune to receiving the same sugar high when a new coach is hired. Do you think if WVU brought in a high-profile celeb status coaching hire, a la Kiffin, Harbaugh, Sarkeesian, etc., could they get a top 10 class? Or are there just systemic factors going against WVU where they will never be able to track the concentration of high-rated players, no matter the circumstances? I think we're forgetting they've gotten the sugar high on Brown, right? They did, yes. Yeah. Now, it turned in the number 40 class in the country last year, but that's the best they've... Uh, don't worry about the the number top 25, top 40, but like relative to the average rating. It's the best they've ever done. Um, why is that number 40 this year when it could be number you know 21 another year? People recruit really well, too. So I, w- I would say that they've done that. Now, does Brown have to go further higher longer stronger to make that um sugar high higher maybe i guess but like you can only do so much and what they've done especially in the 21 class is pretty good and are they on their way for 22 we'll see but obviously the next month will tell us a lot about that the one thing is that like man stoops took forever to do this right it just didn't happen at Kentucky. Like he's been there a while and has been on the ice that's been very thin for a long, long time. Where Shiano is just a different, a different one. Again, just that's a it's a hard comparison to make there too. So I don't even know if you can put those three situations: Rutgers, Kentucky, and West Virginia together. Now, if they got some type of a superstar coach, that's interesting. But like, is that a place that? Because those ones that you mentioned are like Kiffin's just a an outlier. But a lot of them are like people who ended up rising to a certain spot and then went to a place because they were the guy, which means a guy has to come to West Virginia. And I don't know if that's going to happen. That's a tough one. So to answer the question that way, like, could they attract the rock star? I don't know. And I'm not sure they would because how long is that person going to be here? It's not like Kiffin to Ole Miss, right? Um, there's there's things there about him in the SEC or just like at the time and the place. But I think a lot of people wonder if Kiffin would leave too. And I just wonder if West Virginia is a spot that's going to, you know, again, that rock star is going to say, hey, that's where I want to go. More important, that's where I want to be. And then can that person be here for a period of time that would let him roll in top 10 classes? Why? I don't know. I just think that's a perception. And, and sometimes that is a reality, too. But um, that's something that they're pushing back against, I'm sure, with who they have right now. They want to keep him here for a long, long time, and he becomes that rock star. But, you know, but could they get somebody who's going to come here as a guy? And stay and do that. And that, that's that's hard for me to see. And I don't, I don't know if that's something that they've actually ever really looked into doing. Look at their pattern of hiring coaches, right? Um, even back to the the Rodriguez, Stewart, even Holgerson thing. They didn't look for the guy. They try to find somebody who was up and coming and trying to make it happen at West Virginia. Maybe on his way to somewhere else, but not like it was an established person that they brought here. I don't I don't know that this is a spot for that, and I can't really answer why. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is systemic, I guess, is the, is the phrase he used. And I think it, it's always, West Virginia is always going to, they got a sugar high, one, as, you, as we noted with Neil Brown. But it's the sugar high is never going to be as high as other schools because of the recruiting base. And, you know, this is something I know people don't like to hear it. I know we've discussed it a thousand times, but let me look at, you know, we talk about Rutgers and Kentucky because let's be very clear here. West Virginia's football team should be better than Rutgers. It should be better than Kentucky. And you got to do that with coaching or money or facilities. It, they, they should be able to compete with and beat those teams. But in recruiting, it can that that could help even the playing field for those squads because of the recruiting base. Like we talk about Greg Shannon, oh, he's amazing, he's amazing. Yeah, he is a good recruiter, and he's proven that he can win at Rutgers, which is not easy to do. And but look at his team. You know, right now they are ranked seventh in the team rankings for recruiting, which is absurd. They will never end up staying there, but it's absurd right now. And they have twelve commits. Eight of those twelve commits are from New Jersey or right across the border in Pennsylvania, like an hour, hour and a half from uh, Piscataway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if there were two dozen, you know, four-star, high three-star recruits within an hour and a half of Morgantown, I'd say, yeah, West Virginia could go on a similar sugar high, but there aren't. You know, Kentucky, not as, you know, loaded as New Jersey, but you still look at their um, their their commitment list. They got ten guys. The top player, he's from Indiana, so you think, oh, that's not it, and he's like top fifty almost. But he's from Charlestown, Indiana, which is only an hour away from Lexington. Uh, their third recruit, another four star from right in Kentucky. Their fifth recruit, Kentucky, and you go on down, and then you got some Southern Ohio guys. So it's not Ohio, but it's thirty minutes to forty five minutes from Lexington because Lexington's right on the border. So it might as well be in-state um, for them. So, again, it, it, it's West Virginia can get that sugar high, but until there are a couple dozen four-star, high three-star recruits uh, between Morgantown and, uh, you know, Wheeling and Pittsburgh, yep. it's not happening. And, and so I think that's why – I, uh, the the phrase was systemic, you know, issues, and I think I guess that's that would qualify as that because it's just not happening. No matter, like it, even if Nick Saban came, you know, maybe, but that that's where we're at. To answer his question, I'll ask you this too. Let's say, um, let's say, let's say Dan Mullen. Let's say, uh, let's say Dan Mullen. Okay, takes an NFL job uh, next year. I, I don't know where the, the Steelers, whatever, um, and stinks. And he's out after two years. So in 2023, Neil Brown is he he won Powerball for the second time, so he just retires to watch his kids play sports. And West Virginia says we're going to hire Dan Mullen. Then it happens. Could Dan Mullen bring a West Virginia top ten level class in? No, I don't. No. I do not see West Virginia ever finishing inside the top ten. Of the rankings. How about maybe not on the top shelf, but like there's not room in the top shelf, but it's still a good bottle of booze. 
Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen it happen a couple times where West Virginia's finished in the top 25, been on the verge of top 20. And the key is because the ranking, the way the rankings, the team rankings come into uh, play, the formula that they use, if you can get that elite recruit. And when it happened, it was when West Virginia got Noel Devine because Noel Devine was a five-star recruit. So if there happens to be, you know, like a five-star kid that just loves West Virginia, you, you know, like say, uh, who whoever like you know major harris's kid or whatever is all of a sudden coming through as a five-star recruit it's like oh i'm going to west virginia and that's going to boost that rank as you get one of those and then maybe a couple others and that's the other part of this is that it is uh, recruiting is such a momentum thing you look at the again you look at those records classes all of a sudden Shiana is getting, you know, four-star kid from New Jersey, four-star kid from New Jersey, four-star kid from New Jersey. And then there's a four-star kid from, you know, Ohio and Florida. Like, hey, what what the heck's going on up there at Rutgers? Oh, wait, you know, that's in the Big Ten? And they got five four-stars already? Let me go check that out. And, and, and we saw it with Bill Stewart when he first got started at West Virginia. He had a nice, really, momentum going. And, you know, it didn't pan out in the end with he see the Boyd and all that stuff. But man, when that was happening and those guys were committing from Virginia beach and everybody was jumping on board and the momentum was really, really going like that was looking like a team, a, a class that could finish in the top 25 with ease, but you know, you, you got to keep that momentum. And so a lot of it's momentum, but more of it's just what's your recruiting base. What's around your campus. Okay. So if I swapped out Mullen for, for example, I was going to say Jimbo Fisher. Yes, I think I, I don't know if you can get top ten, but I think you can get consistently get some top twenty five programs with Jimbo Fisher in Morgantown. And then one more thing, because the hate mail should come to you and not me. <laughs> Why should West Virginia have a better program than Kentucky and Rutgers? Because that that arched my brow, my office here. Oh, well, I'm talking like with recent West uh, football history. I think West Virginia. You're right. Like. Dag on it. I, I said it and I was like, oh man, now this is this is an argument that I wonder if Mike's gonna push back on because I started immediately thinking about how Kentucky's in the SEC, they got more money, you know, maybe they should be better. I mean, they should be better than they are, that's for sure. Rutgers get big ten money. Uh Greg Shiano's a great coach, they got a lot more talent, so maybe not, but like I think when people look at the programs and you just ask a recruit which school is best like for football, they're going to stay West Virginia out of those three schools. Mm-hmm. But and for the reasons I just said, that might not that, you know, that's not the only, that's not the only reason recruits pick schools. And for the reasons we just mentioned, the money, the facilities, the conferences, all those things uh, can really, really change that. So maybe it won't stay that way that West Virginia is the school that's perceived the best of the three. Um, but right now I think, I think fans would be, uh, shocked if a, a kid was just like, I think Rutgers football is better than West Virginia football. Like mm-hmm. that, I think somebody's draw would drop to the floor. Okay. Um, there's no wrong answer there. I think it's a good question because the point you made, but also like, I think everything you just mentioned, there's no reason why West Virginia can't be the best of those three based on your criteria there. So that's good. But I think if you brought in somebody from like Brandon Collier's PPI recruits and you locked him in a library for a week and said, listen, we can only go to one of these three programs with our remaining travel time here, which one are you most interested in? 
I think they could research and figure things out and be like, actually, West Virginia seems like the best fit for me, the best spot for me based on what I looked at. But similarly, you could probably, depending on how old your your research materials are, you might find stuff from the past year or two that might lean you toward Kentucky and Rutgers, which means they have momentum. But again, to the point that you made, and I think I got, there's no reason that West Virginia can't be number one of those three, which regionally, that's that's really important too. I'm not sure how much they... They're not, they're not really competing for... I mean... They're competing with one another for the same core, but they're not competing like with one another for like high level power five players. But those three are probably shopping. They're all in Aldi, right? They might be in different aisles, but they're all shopping for the same stuff. Sometimes it seems like, right? Yep, and right. They, they definitely cross paths a lot. Yeah, in, okay. in Aldi, so to speak. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, rolling back through, where where else do you want to go in this pod uh, with this Q and A right now? Because uh, again, we got we got some good questions in here. Everything from recruiting to football to basketball. I don't want to I don't want to steal too much of the spotlight with the recruiting stuff uh, here. So I've got a very good one. Go for it. Proton Ear says for Chris parentheses, huh? because everyone seems to point their questions to Mike. Mm-hmm. Where do you learn to break down recruiting and develop a skill to evaluate recruits? There are many former high school players that seem to think they know everything about how to grade a prospect from their highlight reel, but how do you develop it into a profession? That's a good question. Um, and again, I think a lot of people were impressed last week to learn that there's actually like a 24-7 scouting committee. It's not just you putting eyes on a person and insisting what you say goes and that an afternoon in Morgantown should completely impact the top 24-7 and the star system, much like one in College Station or Gainesville, Florida, do the same. You have this all this weird mix and match. Now, there's a committee, there's a formula, too, but it also relies on whoever's doing the scouting and whatever input they have to actually know what they're doing. Um, Film-wise, camps are really important, which is why the next month is so big for you, but also the business here, too. Um, it's a great time to ask and answer this question. Why are you so good, Chris? <laughs> I don't know about that, but... I think one the the in person stuff is vital, as we talked about earlier. Like it's so it's so important for the coaching staff, but it's also extremely important for us and to see these guys because we kind of mentioned it last week. But early on when I was doing this, a lot of it was, "Hey, that guy's really good on his film. Hey, that guy you know, ran for a thousand yards in high school. Hey, that guy scored twenty five points." Uh, a game in basketball, you know, coaches are coaches for a reason. They coach guys on technique, how to do things, how to play properly. What they can't coach is 6'6", 280 with a great frame that can move. And so I think there was a certain time, a point in time where my shift and my focus on what's most important when determining what a recruit is and what he can be shifted from that guy is productive in high school to what can that guy be down the road and size, athleticism, all that stuff became important. And and someone else I just thought about because that, again, this is why the in-person stuff is so important. Uh, You watch film. I don't know how tall that guy is. I don't know how big that guy is. Honestly, you can hardly tell how fast the guy is. You don't know what they're doing with the video. You don't know what the competition is, how slow or fast the the defenders are when a guy's doing a breakaway run for 50 yards. But when you can see him in person in camp, you can get a much better impression. And there was one. uh, I think this might have been the year before you got your your recruiting card. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Gervin Dexter from Lake Wales, Florida came up. Several kids from Lake Wales, Florida came up. Their high school coach was a... 
former West Virginia GA. So he brought a few guys up. And this guy, Dexter, walked onto the field. And I, mean, I guess I could say who it is. I'll, I'll, I'll bleep out the, the bad words. But Tony Gibson's standing a few feet away from me. And he's talking to some other coach. And I just hear him stop and go, holy sh! And what he saw was Gervin Dexter walking in to the field. And this guy was, and, and you can't posit, you, you look at his profile and you're like, oh, he's 6'7", 280. And that probably impresses you. But when you see it in person and the way, 6'7", 280 can look different on a lot of different people. And this was 6'7", 280 of absolutely solid muscle of a, a guy that could run like a 4740 at that size. And I remember we didn't have him ranked at the time because he was young uh, and we didn't have him ranked. And I was like, holy crap, I messaged into the, uh, you know, the, the rankings. Holy crap, have you guys seen this guy? I was like, he was amazing. Uh, he ended up pulling his hamstring, but still got an offer after like 10 minutes of that camp, just doing like two drills and one 40 yard dash. Got an offer on the spot. They would have accepted his commitment like yesterday. And he kept playing. More people got to see him in person. Finished the year as the five-star recruit, number 12 kid in the nation. And I, so I think seeing these guys in person and just figuring out, because I, I think something that maybe people don't realize is just how large the truly good athletes are at the top level of college football. And I'm not talking like they have to be like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, uh, but just the size of their bodies and how much work they put in the weight room. Because that is vital to being successful at that level is is putting in the work in the weight room and, and building your body so that you are a grown man at 18 years old, basically. Um, and, and Dexter was one of those. And you see that and, and you can kind of look at their bodies and figure out how they're going to develop. And I think that's that's when I made that shift like several years ago from production is that's good. Cause you want them to have the smarts and the know-how and to be able to do it on the court or the field. But the body and the athleticism and the frame, that's what's most important. That's those are the kids that are really going to be special. Are there drills? Cause I imagine positionally it's different. Like this guy's hips don't matter because he's an offensive lineman, but Oh, cornerback, you better be able to move. But like this guy's, you know, torso pop for an yeah. offensive lineman when they do those drills, that's important too, but maybe not for a cornerback, but universally, are there things that it doesn't matter what position you play, what's out of the ball, you better be, you better be standing out because of this. Is it, is it agility in a sense of, you know, going laterally? Is it being able to explode off the ground and, and touch the highest thing on a vertical? Granted, a D-backs vertical might be different than an offensive tackle's vertical, but that, that pop off the ground, Sometimes stands out to a six, seven, two hundred eighty pound offensive lineman too. Um, I don't know any universals there that catch you. So uh, obviously the big thing that everybody pays attention to is the forty yard dash. I would mm -hmm. say that's important for a lot of guys. Um, and for the linemen, defensive linemen and offensive linemen, you'll notice. It, well, I guess well we'll notice when we're watching the camps is that for the running backs, receivers, everybody else, everybody's standing at the forty yard line. You know to to get that time right there. But if you go to the offensive line and the defensive line line uh, that's getting ready to run the 40-yard dash, there's a guy at the 40-yard line. But then you also see Matt Moore or Jordan Leslie this year, I guess, Andrew Jackson, standing at the 10-yard line with his own stopwatch. 
just like they do for the NFL, you know, scouting combine. They want to know what that 10 yard get off is. Cause if your defensive lineman's having to run 40 yards downfield, <laughs> that play sucked anyway. So yeah. don't worry about it. But you want to know what that 10 yard line is. You want to know what that 10 yard time is. So I think that that's vitally important to the coaching staff, that first 10 yard burst for the, for the big guys, 40 yards for the, for the smaller guys. But something else that I think is, is under appreciated and they tested at every single camp is the broad jump. Cause I think that shows your lower body explosiveness Okay, and you need that at every position you need, you know, maybe not offensive line, um, I mean, you need that good base, but you're not expecting an offensive lineman to leap 10 feet um, with 300 pounds. But if you can get a defensive end that, that that's bursting off the ground with that big broad jump, that's great for his explosiveness, for his, his get off on that line. That's great for linebackers. It's great for receivers, running backs, all that stuff. So I think that that's a, a test that they do that is more important than I think a lot of people might give credit to. Interesting. All right. You have time for one or two more? Yeah. You have a pick? Um, do we want to get to the media access one again? Or let's end with that, that one. But yeah. Let's end with that one. But like, here's the one I think is good. And we can just make this very quick. Uh, WVU G13. Neil Brown had a big upset in his third year at Troy beating LSU. Which team that WVU would be an underdog to do you think the football team would upset? I looked at it. Probably about half and half underdog in favorite right now, which is good. Um, I picked Oklahoma State. What's the line on that unsanctioned line? Oh, is there one? I didn't see that. I, oh, I don't know. Okay, I didn't know if you when you said half and half. I I knew I saw a few unsanctioned lines that we discussed on the board the other day, but I didn't know if there was one for Oklahoma State yet. Well, um, I was looking at the schedule, just trying to figure things out, and I think I actually had six and six. Would they be? And it, I mean, they might be close. Like, for example, going to TCU. I mean, that may be like yeah. minus one, minus two, something like that for TCU, but that's pretty even. But like I was trying to, but I gave TCU the favorite status there. Who knows? So I, I'm I'm putting an emphasis here from WV, WVUG 13's question on big upset. So I kind of said at least a touchdown underdog. Yeah. Do you think they're, a, I, I think it's close. Do you think they're an underdog, a, a seven point underdog against Oklahoma State? Probably it depending it would depend on some things, namely what happens the week before. That's right. why I was looking at that one because they might get look, they've had a hard time with Iowa State the last two years. And if that goes sideways, but it's at home, so it may not go sideways. But like if, if all of a sudden I don't know what their record would be at that point, but that's a later game in the season. Um Oklahoma State could be good again. I don't know, but like that's a team they haven't beat and have had their chance, but um potentially that's that's one that does work, I think. It seven's Hard for me to say right now, not knowing what's happened before it. But I just think about if they lose to Iowa State, that's probably worth a couple points, right? Yeah. So I was kind of going through it, try to keep it. I was torn on the uh, Oklahoma State one. I, I don't think they'll be a seven-point dog. But again, like you said, it depends on what happens you know, as the season progresses. But right now, I think the only two that they're going to be touchdown or more dogs are Iowa State and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, to be blunt, I'm not picking WVU against Oklahoma until it actually happens. Yeah. Sorry. It's just not. So that kind of leaves me with Iowa State. And I feel okay with picking this because I think these last couple of years make people believe like this impression that Iowa State just absolutely owns West Virginia. When the Mountaineers hold a 5-4 record mm -hmm. since joining the Big 12. And 
Yeah, the last three years, Iowa State's won three in a row. Before that, West Virginia won four in a row. Last three have gone to Iowa State. But um, the last two years, Iowa State has definitively been the better team, right? Like talent-wise and everything, like absolutely the better team. Uh, the last two years, I think the year before that was the the upset of the Will Greer team where West Virginia should have been the better team. So one upset and then two kind of went, went as expected. But now I think the talent gap is closing mm. between West Virginia and Iowa State. I still think Iowa State's a darn good team. I just think West Virginia is better than they were last year. And so I think that uh, if I had to pick, you know, the big upset. And again, I was kind of it's kind of limited because I'm torn. Oklahoma State's a maybe seven point dog. And then I'm picking between Oklahoma and Iowa State. And I'm, I'm going with Iowa State. I don't, I don't think it's that crazy to think West Virginia can pull that off at home. Too. Halloween weekend, too. Yeah. Uh, real quick, give me underdog favorite for these games. At Maryland. Favorite. Long Island. Favorite. Home against Virginia Tech. Favorite. So 3-0 right there. Oklahoma. Big underdog. Home against Texas Tech. Favorite. At Baylor. I think slight underdog. I think because mm-hmm. it's on the road, I think it'll be like two or three. All right. 4-2. Halfway point now. Off week. Here we go. At TCU. Again, I think it'll be, you know, uh, three, four point underdog. Iowa State. Uh, well, I've already seen that line. Eight point underdog, according to unsanctioned betting lines, not mm-hmm. supported by 24 7 sports. So, four, four right now. Oklahoma State. <sighs> Slight underdog. At Kansas State. A favorite. Slight. Texas home. According to the unsanctioned lines, it's a that's a pick 'em right now. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, and then at Kansas, favorite. So I mean, you could you could do five and seven, seven five, six and six, but like it's and it's going to be close on some of them. Um, though I I just I'm in that part of my summer now. It's not even summer, but like I'm looking at teams and I could tell you that for for example, I think Middle Tennessee is going to be a handful for Virginia Tech, right? Um, mm-hmm. But looking at things and. I, I I cannot get TCU right any year, but I feel like they could be good. Um, and then um, Texas Tech, I just don't know about. Like, did they get? Did they finally get an upgraded quarterback? But that's that's one points per one we had, and it was kind of I don't know either way. But those are two probably really important games too because they haven't beaten Texas Tech, and they they could be one and one. They could be zero and two. I shouldn't say they they should be two and zero, oh, but their worst showing the first year was Texas Tech. Um, and then TCU, they've they've beaten twice, but like TCU's kind of up to something. It looks like that maybe a lot of the recruiting him. Did Gary Patterson press? I don't know. Did he hover his finger above the reset button a couple of years ago and try some different things that might be paying off this year too? But um, those are two teams that you're, you're looking to occupy in middle parts. They could be in the same vicinity. I don't have a whole lot of excitement for Baylor, Kansas, Texas should be good because the talent. I think Kansas State is a good coach. Um, so like there's there's probably a ceiling for West Virginia, um, which seems weird to say, but like they could break through for sure if they just get some of those close games too. But you're looking at I mean probably about an even slate as far as favorite underdog. So things so you do. I, I was saying I I figured we were at that point of the year where you were going to start screenshotting me betting lines for Nickel State and Southeastern Louisiana and stuff. So we're better than I thought we were. <laughs> Final question. You have oh, you a, want me to read it? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I took the air out of the room here, but 
<laughs> uh, from Omaha Year One. Who gets final say on how much access the media has? Obviously, this year was a write-off, but is access diminishing at WVU across the board in college football? Question mark. I guess that reads as, is it diminishing just at WVU or everywhere? It's, well, uh, I'll be told no matter who what I say that I don't know what happens to other schools because I've only covered West Virginia. It's nonsense, but that's what they'll tell me. Um, I know how it works at other schools. And it's it just varies. Some places you can't talk to any assistant coaches, never mind coordinators. We can talk to the coordinators. Um, some places you can talk to any players. We can't talk to people who are in their first year on campus. And honestly, we can't even ask for players. We get a list now of who's going to happen. And that was before the pandemic, too. Like, these guys are available. So there's no universal thing on it. I don't, I don't know why. Um, I, I just don't know why. I, I don't understand why you can't let players and coaches talk. It just, it seems so weird, especially coaches. Like if, if, if 20 minutes a week with me keeps you from beating Oklahoma, you've got major problems, right? right. <laughs> so that's, that's a, a strange thing with me, but coaches just have their thing. Um, West Virginia has not diminished access with Neil Brown. And even it's probably a little bit greater because we get to more practices now that we did before. That's fine, but like I'd much rather talk to players and coaches. Like, there's good stories that you just never get to tell because he's not allowed to come out and talk to you. Why? Right? He doesn't want to. Okay, that's one thing, but he's not allowed to because that's the rule. I don't know. Like, like if you're a true freshman or junior college transfer and you're not allowed to talk because that's the rule, I think that's silly. That's not like a lot of places, but at, at some places, players aren't available during the spring and players aren't available until after a game during the week. And we get players on Tuesdays before a game and you can ask for certain players, too. So uh, West Virginia is above the middle of the road. Uh, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of people up there with them, too. Like it's it's really dumbed down, um, I think, coverage and, and expectations too as to what you want to get from your newspaper, or your website. So who has the say? Who do you think has the say? It's not the sports information director. It's the coach. Who does the head coach want speaking for his program? Frequently, it's the head coach. And I don't know. Do you not want your coordinators to get too much shine? Do you not want your assistant coaches to say too much? Do you not want the attention away from the top of the program? Those are, I think, common explanations for maybe why. But is that realistic or is that just kind of petty? Uh, maybe a little bit of each. Who knows? Like So petty on the reporter's part. Like I can't talk to him. Why? Well, that's because he doesn't want his running backs coach getting a lot of attention for the success of the offense. I don't know how true that is, but there might be some of that in some places. I don't understand why assistant coaches can't talk. That's just weird to me. Those are people who have careers they want to advance. And if you can explain why you're doing things and why it's working or why it's not, you have a better understanding of the team and the program you cover. Players, listen, some players aren't comfortable. Like there are players I know who are really good players and even have really good personalities, but you surround them with a bunch of people who are just staring at them and not asking questions. Nobody wants that. So there might be something with players who just don't want to and say, hey, I don't want to do this. Do I have to? Heck no, you don't have to. <laughs> right? So don't. But I think if you're a player who's willing and able to, um, man, there shouldn't be a rule that says you can't because of your age or whatever. If you're a knucklehead and you've been in trouble, like if you got arrested or you got suspended, yeah, you're on ice for a couple of weeks or a season. I don't care. That's fine. But like just because you've only been on campus for a couple of weeks or a couple of months um, or just because – you're not allowed to because of some rule. I don't know what good that does to anybody there. So is that too rambling and too <laughs> agended? 
No, I'm with you. I, I, was, I think we've been, uh, I went back, God, I think this was a couple years ago, and I was going through because somebody had asked me about spring game or spring football coverage and what it was like. Now, Bill Stewart and Rich Rod were pre my time, like as far as covering the team, working in this business. Um, so you could probably better answer that. I, I, I believe I was told it was pretty wide open, especially when Rich Rod was around. Is that true? Like the, as far yeah. as spring practice, was it like, you know, it's 15 and you got to see 15 or parts he, of 15? He did like 15 minutes after practice every day. Every day? You can come in and talk to his assistant coaches. You could pull guys and they walked off the field, um, which is amazing. Like, I can't <laughs> Just pull random players that. off and get, like, I want to talk to that guy? You would get tackled now if you even tried that stuff. <laughs> but like Rodriguez wanted people to see his program. I mean, he, he came in with a vision of like, not like this is the people's program, but like, hey, like I'm I'm taking this thing over. Expectations and rules and exposure and visibility and all the risk back then was not what it is now. I guess it, it existed, but it probably wasn't manipulated like it is now. But like, there wasn't a fear of it. I mean, if something happened, he took care of it. But like, you could you had pretty free reign on topics and access to people. So, I I you know I made that that comment that I didn't know what it was like with Stewart and and Rich Rod, but I heard it was pretty open under Rich Rod. And I was there with the first year of Dana and ever since and kind of kept track of how many spring practices we had access to every single year. And it got, it was down. It started out, I think when uh, Dana, I don't have it in front of me. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think like the first couple of years that Dana was there, those first couple of springs were like, we could see or at least see part of or had media access or something at like 12 of 15 mm-hmm. and then it was 10 and then it was seven and then it was five. And then I think it was like, we got to see three practices by like his final couple of years, three to five practices, something like that. And that's kind of what, what was this spring? Was it five that, or I think it, maybe it was scheduled three. We ended up getting to see four or something like that or three mm-hmm. in the spring game. So it, it hasn't gotten worse since Dana left. No. I think maybe it's gotten slightly better because we've been able to get, you know, on the days that we don't get to watch the game, they would, at least this spring, and even even the spring before, uh, or the, uh, I guess before that, they would try to set up some kind of media availability, whether it was Neil Brown, assistant coaches, players, or see it in person. For every practice or most uh, 10 practices or so. So it, it hasn't, again, it hasn't gotten worse. Um, but, and wh- where did you say it ranked among the hierarchy of like all of college football, like slightly above average? It's above the middle of the road. Yeah. I was, and, and you're right. I think it, it varies wi- wildly um, from college to college. I mean, we have some, some coworkers who are at every single spring football practice, uh, every, almost every single fall camp practice in in the entirety and and they get to talk to players as much as they want or as much as the school allows and assistant coaches and all this and then we have others that just go through the darkness for months on end and only get to talk to coaches and players you know after a game and that's it so the weird thing about those places that you can go to every spring practice and every fall practice where you have great access to assistant coaches or random players is that a meteor did not fall out of the sky yeah. and wipe out that campus. It did not crater into the earth. I can't believe it, Chris. And a lot of those schools are like good 
Like, you, you know, it, it's not like, hey, it's some team that went two and ten that that's allowing full on media access. These are teams that are like high profile SEC teams, Big Ten teams that are having good seasons that are allowing full access. So, yeah, it's not it's not giving away a bunch. I mean, I, I think you might have uh, a couple assistant coaches at WVU that we saw this spring on the Zoom calls that might get zapped from a, you might have to give them one of those like dog collars that you uh, control from your phone uh, with some of the, you know, things they were giving away on, on the Zoom calls. But uh, a lot of these schools, you know, give full, full on access. So, but I think you're right when you say that West Virginia is, you know, a, a above the median, you, you know, not, not not top twenty five ish, but you know, not the worst certainly. Not diminishing either. I would I would throw away twenty twenty because it was so different. But I would also say that man, they went out of their way sometimes to make sure that we got stuff, and yes, that was good. They did they but, really did? They would send us pictures. They would send us video. Uh, you know things because that that's big. Because you want people, fans want to see. They want to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. They want to hear what's going on. They want firsthand knowledge of what's going on which is why it's important for us to be there in person. And they did provide pictures and video as well so that we could share it with our fans and our users. Yeah. So like they couldn't have TV cameras in for practices for like the 30 minutes you're allowed there before because everybody was blocked out. But they provided B-roll from inside their their media thing. So TV stations had stuff to roll with too. Didn't have to do that, did they? Yeah. And is that access? I don't know. But it's like something they didn't have to do and they did. I think what strikes me about this and like, I don't know, I don't know if this will make anybody mad or not. <laughs> Screw it, I don't care. Like, who are they? Who are they scared of? WVU media, like you, me, like this guy over here, or this person, this newspaper, whatever. Like, who's the bad guy? Who's the big bad that they don't want to let in? Yeah. Like, what's I, the worst thing that can happen, and who's the worst person that can perpetuate that? Like, I don't. I think I, I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of flagrant offenders of journalistic norms here who are going to see or do something that shouldn't be said or done. And like, you have to build a wall to keep that person out. And I don't know who that is or what that presence is, but like, I feel like that, that you see that wall sometimes if you're on the inside of it, you're a player and assistant coach, you think, well, it must be bad media. And then the first time you get a weird question or like a, a tough question, well, that's what coach is talking about. Oh, that's what the SID was talking about. That old, that old media and got to keep them behind that wall. I don't, I don't see that or get that here and have them for a long, long time. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I guess the thing you're worried about is somebody leaking something out or posting something or whatever that might help another team or I, I don't, or make the program look bad, I guess. And uh, to be quite frank, and no offense to uh, some of our, you know, fellow media people, but I don't, I, I would, th- I, I get the impression that it might be the other way around with this crowd, that, that it's not really going to be overly negative about what's going on, at least not right now, not it, unless things go south on the field, so who knows? Well, it's a good thing that no one leaks stuff to the media and that we don't break any stories. <laughs> they sure, they sure solve that problem. <laughs> well, I mean, all they hey, all they need is our our tax return forms to see who we're paying uh, over the table. You know, <laughs> uh, on just just flat payroll, just flat on our payroll. Like and that's it, it's that's it's me, you, and seven athletic direct uh, department uh, employees yes. on our payroll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like, if you if you build walls, people are going to try to get around them or over them or underneath them or through them. And like, it's 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 gambling and nil stuff too. If you make it backroom stuff and you make it black market stuff, it's bad. If you regulate it and you open it up a little bit, it's a little bit easier, right? And yep. I think I think that's sometimes where you get into trouble. And that's where you find out that an assistant coach or a player or or a staffer gets in trouble because 
he had the audacity to answer a phone and be a grown up and talk to a person, have a conversation too. I'm not saying that happens here, but like certainly you see things where coaches get in trouble or staffers get in trouble because they air quotes leak um, where you're just doing your job, answering a question that you're asked. Like that's, that's a strange thing to me. And I don't know. I, I could spend way more time on this than I probably should. Yeah. No, that's all right. We, we, we've hit our over an hour and we only what only spent 20 minutes on the pre, the pre mailbag portion of this so that's, yeah, that's pretty good for us yeah all right so we'll be back sometime soon uh i don't i don't want to give away what i think i have but maybe something here that'll be a little bit different but a little bit same and then i think chris the people want a camp preview pod yeah we might have to do that because i think we're gonna you know over the next few days i'll have uh some some more stuff looking back at top rated recruits i'll have updates on what i think is going to happen at a lot of these positions heading into june because as I noted in those articles, and then, of course, the same day that I put the first one out, uh, they get a transfer commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, you, coaches are on vacation. Players are settling in that are arriving this weekend. Or some are just taking classes, not really doing workouts and stuff. So this week is kind of the calm before the storm. And June is going to be nuts. Absolutely nuts. And real quick, if you if you want me to do the math for you, our $1 for a month of VIP access mm-hmm. would cover the entirety of all the June camps and all of the official visits if you signed up today. A dollar for every single recruiting camp and every single official visit of June. Just saying. We'll tack that on here. It's always the second paragraph of text below the embedded podcast player if you're checking out on the um on the web page if you're listening to this in some rss feed or some player go to the page uh the your sports page click on the podcast article you'll find the dollar dollar a month man yeah. uh, good time to do it busier if you're into that stuff it's time to do it we'll cover it more certainly in june but maybe the next time we talk uh, until then i am mike Kazazan. and i'm chris anderson talk to you later